We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, oh goodness! Stunning with the left hand! Devontae Deep! Oh my goodness! Oh, I don't believe it! A 30-foot of the I'm just stopping already! All right, welcome to another Buzzbeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and on today's episode, we will be answering your questions concerning the offseason for the Hornets. Before we get started here, I wanted to shout out another member of our Buy Me a Coffee site. Thanks to Quincy for making a donation. Uh, it really means a lot to us. Brian, Spencer, can you guys believe that the draft is basically a week away? It's, it's kind of snuck up on us. Yeah, I can actually. Um, I'm glad it's finally here, ready to get this thing going and uh, see who Charlotte adds, see what trades take place, get into free agency and also turn the page up for the uh, 2022 draft. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get this thing going, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to as ready as I can be. I was like a little, little late to all the action this year. Shorter uh, runway from draft to draft uh, and a few other things. But, yeah, it's next week. So, ready or not, <laughs> here we come, I guess. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to jump into this. We have six listener questions. Some of them came from uh, our Slack channel, our Twitter handle, and actually the first one is coming from a comment that's been left on a YouTube video of ours. And I've been meaning to address this, but it, it's a perfect time to talk about it as we are doing a mailbag episode this one comes from James Helton. Uh, like I said, he left a comment on YouTube. Where would LaMelo be drafted if he were to have come out in this year's draft? A very interesting question. I um, haven't really given much thought to this, but I think sometimes the hardest part about this is trying to remove what happened this past yeah. season. Yes. And, right? Yes. And, and trying to take yeah. yourself back to last season yeah. at this time. I, yeah. I get it. He, he won the Rookie of the Year. And my expectations for LaMelo, probably lower than the consensus, but I wouldn't say that, you know, I think for the most part, LaMelo was probably either one or two on most people's big boards, but let's, let's not act like he didn't have question marks coming into the draft with his shooting last year, 25% in Australia from behind the arc. There was concerns about his ability to play off ball. There was a concern about whether or not he had the you know, the type of engagement you would want on the defensive side of the court. 
I'll say this. I think it's obvious that Cade Cunningham would still be the clear-cut number one. I think you could obviously make an argument for Mobley and Jalen Green kind of being in the mix as well. I can be swayed here, Spencer, but like where... I'll let you guys chime in. I, re- I really don't have a definitive like stance here. I-, I think he'd be in the top four of this year's draft, but I really don't know if he would be like two, three, or four. I, re- I really don't know. I mean, I think going off what he did in Australia, um, you know, there were signs on the film. You know, we, we knew the talent and the IQ was there, but I just think going off the shooting numbers, I really don't think he goes in the top five. I don't oh, think okay. he goes ahead of Mobley, C- Cunningham, Green, Barnes, or Suggs. I mean, that, that would be my answer. Now, if you just take his rookie year stats in the NBA and you place those, you know, into Australia, then I think he probably goes behind Mobley, Cunningham, Green. Might even might even go ahead of, of Green or whoever you covet as kind of the, the third guy in this draft. But, yeah, going off those Australia shooting stats, I, I think it would be hard to imagine him going in the top five of this draft. Yeah, I think he would go number three. Uh, behind Kay Cunningham and, and Evan Mobley. It's close in a couple directions, and, and all the numbers we're throwing out are pretty bunched up here. But, you know, I had LaMelo as the top prospect for the 2020 draft. You know, I really liked him as a prospect. But like Richie said, it's also difficult to go back to thinking about prospect Mello in a vacuum. I know it wasn't that long ago. It really was just like, you know, eight, nine months ago, but obviously a lot of change between now and last fall. Um, and he was just so, so good uh, as a rookie. I think you could argue LaMelo over Mobley at two, even based off just the stuff in Australia and, and everything he did as a, as a prep uh, stateside as well. Um, and you can do that on the case that if Mobley as, as a big guy, like if, if he hits only immediate outcome, he's certainly still a useful NBA player, probably still a starter, a good defender, but overall that's just like a less valuable player than I think taking a shot on like a, a six foot eight, you know, primary initiator type. Um, who can also work as a connector and can prop up an offense. So more valuable to have easier to build around, a prospect type like uh, like Lamelo, I think you could also argue Jalen Green over Lamelo at three. I think that's fine. That would put Lamelo at four. I don't, I think that's the floor, though. Uh, I I don't think you can go lower than four in this hypothetical. Uh, you know, Green is the super athletic wing scorer who can slash and create for others. Could you know maybe be maybe not become a, a total primary creator, but a guy that's going to have a lot of like on ball equity. So I'd still argue LaMelo over Jalen Green, but the margins on all these things are, are close. So I'd still say three with a floor of uh, a four for LaMelo. Yeah, that, that's the way I lean, somewhere around that three, four range. I, I think you can make the case that Mobley is is definitely higher than LaMelo if he were to come out this year. Again, it, it's really hard to remove kind of these like expectations that LaMelo has after playing one season in NBA. Spencer, am I uh, am I correct in saying that you actually have Mobley ahead of Cade? I think I think I saw something on your Twitter today. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way I'm leaning right now. Nice. It's you know, as Brian was talking about the margins a minute ago, I, I think Mobley Cunningham Green it's it's close. It's it's really really close. I mean, I, I I see where like the floor, it's very clear the floor is higher for Cunningham. It's just it's clearly a safer prospect than either one of Mobley or Green, but I mean, Mobley's like the way he moves, 
the smoothness, the smoothness of his athleticism, uh, how good of a passer he is. Uh, and you've heard this talked about on whatever your kind of flavor of ice cream is on, on in national draft coverage, but he's really more like a way a huge wing than he is mm-hmm. even a five. And so for me, it's harder to predict and forecast what he is going to become, but the ceiling of what he, what he can become is greater than Cade Cunningham to me. But, but again, he's not as safe of a pick as Cade. So, I, I, yeah, I think Mobley has, has the best chance to be an absolute superstar out of this crop. It, it should be just a quick note to circle back to LaMelo. By the way, he's younger than both uh, Evan Mobley and Jalen Suggs, which is also something to probably take, in, take into account. Uh, with this hypothetical, uh, with him falling into the draft this year, he's still like, he, it's crazy how young he is. He doesn't turn 20 until August this year. Yeah. I, I, look, I've been in the camp of like Kate as QB one in this class since we finished, you know, even before we, we got done with the 2020 draft cycle. Cade might even be like classified, quantified as like a wing too. But the fact that he has the ability to be one of those jumbo playmakers, the decision-making is just so, so good. I think he's like solidly in as the number one prospect in this class. With that said, Evan Mobley is awesome, is an awesome prospect. And like the fact that you can even like poke holes in Cunningham's case, small holes. And you can even, you can even play devil's advocate or you can do what Spencer does. And you can, you can flip those two. Like, I think Mobley, like, you can have a discussion about it. Like I'll go there. I won't knock Kate off the top of the mountain, but Mobley is so, so, so good. And I, I love Jalen green as a prospect too. And I'm obviously plenty of people are going to you know advocate for green over Mobley. And it seems like as of today, the rots like the direction the Rockets might go, um, which would be a godsend for Cleveland. If uh, you know, if they could scoop Mobley at three. So, um, yeah. but all three of those guys are, are, are just incredible. But I, I do think Cunningham's ability worry about the athleticism uh, or at least like the speed specific. I think in general, Kate is a pretty darn good athlete. Uh, but some of the burst and speed, you know, maybe a little, a little concerning there, there are reasons to, to critique some of the stuff he did at Oklahoma state and not just write all of it off on teammates or scheme and stuff like that. Like there, there's some, there were some like small red flags. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think if you're building a case for Mobley, you're going to really like hark on those things while also focusing on the fact that like Mobley does basically everything well, he just needs to get stronger. And like that's he's going to because he's 19 years old. So like he's, you know, he's going to get stronger. And I mean, obviously he's incredible. I think both of those guys have like, multiple all-star you know yeah. franchise altering type potential they're really really good agree I, I mean i think it's very so so close between those three i mean you watch green sometimes like the offensive film is i mean it's breathtaking that guy is going to be an electric score i think in the nba it's it's now what else does he bring to the table can he play defense consistently yeah. you know can he use his athleticism on that end but i mean if you took green number one, I wouldn't think that GM's crazy. I really wouldn't. It's not what I do, but I think it's that close between these top these top three. I, I like the fact that green, like his offensive game, yeah, like he is like a, a big time slasher and, and driver. And his handle's good. He can like get into gaps when he keeps it low. But he kind of has the ability to. There's a couple guys like this every draft. I feel like Cam Thomas at LSU can kind of do this too, or like 
he can score off ball running off pin downs and the ignite ran a lot of actions for him to get him off pins, get him off flare screens. You can run pick and roll with him. He can pass out of the pick and roll and you can run ISO with him too. And he can be a playmaker and a facilitator out of all of those too. It's just like a, an incredibly versatile an explosive offensive piece. I mean, he's probably the best, you know, wing athlete in the draft and he has all this scoring and shooting upside too. He's an awesome player. He's really, really good. Like if you have a top three pick in this draft, you know, you, you really struck gold and that's, that's not even like a, like I actually think I have Jalen Suggs at fourth and I think Jalen Suggs has has star potential too, actually. Um, But I do think there's definitely like a gap down to, from three to subs at four and, you know, remember, you know, also you have in that range, the Scotty Barnes types. You know, I do think there's, there's a little bit of a drop from, you know, green down to that next, that next tier, but I probably have subs in sort of almost maybe his own, like I almost have like the top four guys each in their own tier, <laughs> but, but maybe Mobley and, and uh, green are in that second one. Uh, actually, you could probably put those two guys together in like my second tier, both are awesome players. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Question number two at Fitch for Hornets on Twitter. With so much uncertainty with prospects after the top six, would it be advantageous to trade back for New York's number 19 and 21 or OKC 16 and 18? Are two picks in the mid to late first round a safer bet this year rather than a single pick at number 11? Discuss, he says. Now, I think this might be a simplistic answer, but I guess it depends on who's there at 11. Like, 
if you're going to make a trade, you're not going to do it before draft night. You're going to see how things play out a little bit for the Hornets. And as it approaches number 11, if their guy isn't there, uh, or maybe if their top two guys aren't there, I think the answer to this question is a little bit different. So if I was in this position, and let's just say I value Moses Moody, which I do, and he's there at 11, I think you take him at number 11. I think that's good value. If Mitch Kupchak likes player X and he's there at 11, take him. I wouldn't fault him for doing that. Having said that, to this question, it does feel like if you can get two attempts in that mid to late first round, there there does seem to be a little bit of value there. I, I personally don't see a ton of drop off from pick 11 to like pick 16. Uh, I could be wrong if you guys have a different opinion on that. And OKC has always been the obvious trade partner. Like it's 16 and 18, they need to get off picks, come up, come up and trade for 11 if we don't have a guy that we like there. So yeah, I, I, would, I would say yes. For the most part, if your guy isn't there, Trade back, trade back. I would rather have like a, a Springer and a Kai Jones or a Springer and Isaiah Jackson versus somebody that's like third on my board. So that that's kind of how I view this question. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in complete agreement. Well, I think we've talked about this a little bit on the pod before, even probably, you know, talked about it in relation to the 2020 draft, you know, specific, specific, like what you said, specifically the 16 and 18 Oklahoma City picks. But Fitch also brought up New York at 19 and 21. We've even discussed this hypothetical with Houston having 23 and 24. Um, just in general, from an asset management view, you know, it's good practice to trade back, add more picks mm-hmm. and continue building. Now, sort of to Richie's point, in a one-off vacuum, that may not always be the case because, you know, all of these things are, you know, they're educated guesses, but um, at the end of the day, there's there's a lack of certainty in certain stuff, and some guys are going to draft, you're going to draft, and they're going to develop really well and become great players, or uh, at the specific example that Richie brought up, someone you really want could could fall to that that pick. In Charlotte's case, you know, mo- most Moody at 11 would be really, really good for them. But, you know, there's opportunity costs left on the table in turning down a two-for-one pick swap like this. Um, and you want as many opportunities to draft good young players and get them on team-friendly deals as possible. Those guys can turn into parts of your core. They can become trade chips. They can create more assets. Like, it just gives yourself more optionality as, uh, as a franchise that, you know, in Charlotte's case, is, is trying to win right now, but I think has sort of like um, an eye on the future and building around LaMelo too. So you should still be in the business of, of stacking assets. And I just think on average, you know, oh, oh, like over, you know, a, a decade's worth of drafts, it is going to make the most sense to, if you have any of these type of opportunities to, 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 to move back and, and really like, there are some really good prospects that are going to be available at, at 16 and, and 18 um, guys that unless someone like Moody or, you know, Wagner or Scotty Barnes or whoever, they somehow fell to 11 and Moody seems like a possibility for that. Then yeah, you could get, uh, you could get a Jaden Springer, Zaire Williams, you know? Um, so or you could get both of those guys. So yeah, I would be in the camp of, I would be very interested in trading back. And I'd even have to strongly consider, you know, if Houston, maybe it's too far back to do 23 and 24 for 11, but I think you'd have to talk about it and, and, um, and think about it. Cause in general, it's, it's just good practice. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with what you guys have said. I mean, Oklahoma city clearly 
uh, the most intriguing possibilities, 16 and 18. And obviously that's a team too, that, you know, <clears throat> they're not going to value these, uh, <laughs> these draft picks maybe as much as every other team in the league, cause they have them all. So they, they've got a little bit, but you know, they can get a little bit more, um, risky mm-hmm. with using these things. So, uh, but it all depends on who they covet and who they really like. I mean, what wh- are they really going to give up, give up 16 and 18 to jump up five spots? Uh, just, just for, to do it just an idea no though it'll have to be clear cut that someone is falling to them um you know houston's a team we've talked about they have 23 and 24 eh, i mean it, i don't know if that's enough uh for me to trade 11 although i do think there's gonna be some really good players in that area but mm-hmm. you know i think the interesting thing once you really get past like i don't know 11 anywhere from 11 to 15 depending on who you really like as prospects once you start to trickle out of the lottery that back end, that middle of the first round, back into the first uh, first round, early second, it really is such an interesting part of this mm-hmm. draft. I, I think more so than drafts of past. Because, I, I mean, I do think there's a lot of talent there, but I, I think it's less certain, at least it seems like it, of, of where – like prospects 10 to 50 are actually going to be taken, you know? So I, so I do think if you trade back, my point is that you're going to get a player – uh, you know, in, in Charlotte's situation, you're probably going to get somebody that you really, really like because mm-hmm. of how volatile I think the market is for the, for those picks, those prospects in that range. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But look, the league's heating up right now. Uh, there's a Simmons trade that needs to happen. You know, Lillard's name's yeah. out there. The Bradley Beal thing is so like there's a lot of machinations of, of draft trading that that Charlotte could fall into probably more likely as a third team. But you never know. I, I think there's a lot is going to happen as soon as these finals end in terms of trading before the draft. I do think there's going to be a lot of action. Yeah, and, and you can free still- agent. Sorry, I mean, and more so, I should have said, the free agent class just—it's not—it's not that impressive. So I think a lot of the teams that want to improve on the margins, or even the t- the teams that want to really improve and, and go for it next year, they're going to have to do it through trades. And there's a lot of teams that hold multiple draft picks, and that's a market for action, I think. So I think you're going to see trades before the draft. Yeah, that's you. You laid it out perfectly, Spencer. Uh, could not agree more. Was just going to say, even if you moved back to that 23, 24 range. Yeah. Um, I mean, not all of these guys are going to be there, but you could still get Jared Butler, Deuce McBride, whom I love and would be just a, a great, you know, person to pair with, uh, with LaMelo JT Thor's a project, big guy that we're, we're, we're doing a, a video breakdown of that's coming out later this week too. Usman Garuba could potentially be there if he felt like, so to Spencer's point, there are still going to be guys in that early twenties range that you could, you could say like they, they have close to a lottery grade on them. Right. You know, like, like, like they have enough, they still look, they still project to be a rotation player. Now, are they, uh, you know, just a role player or are they a plus plus rotation player? Like, I mean, you know, we'll see. That's like the fun of the draft every year, but yeah, that's like, this is why you would want to sink back to those spots, even if even if Houston was a little too far down, and, and maybe you could get twenty three, twenty four, and, and something else from them for eleven. You know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, in terms of hypotheticals with with Charlotte this year, but yeah, because there's still players to be had uh, in that range. Getting as many of those guys in your system, the more the better, basically. Let me ask you this quick question before we go on to the next listener question. I actually do think OKC would do sixteen and eighteen for eleven. 
for a couple of reasons. One, one, they have a top six pick. Two, they they've got to get off draft picks. So they they'd be exiting with the sixth pick and the eleventh pick if that trade were to go down. But let let's say OKC would not do that pick. Which trade would you rather do? Sixteen and thirty four from OKC or twenty three and twenty four from Houston. So hmm. if they didn't want to do sixteen and eighteen, maybe they give you that early second round pick. Man, it's a good question. I think I'd, I think I'd lean 16 and 34. I, if something about waiting until the 20s, dropping from 11 to 23, just kind of yeah. makes me a little bit uneasy. Because now, like, yeah. yeah. now you're getting like a fringe lottery pick. And, yeah. um, and I mean, I know the clock is like a little accelerated on, on second round picks. Like, they're, they, you know, those are only three-year deals or whatever. But like, um, you know, it's less of a – like, if you're looking at this from like a team perspective, it is – at least initially, it's not. It's maybe not quite the financial investment in adding another second round pick to to your books, and especially if it's going to be a guy that you're probably going to have a first round grade on or something close to it for getting them at at, uh, at 34. So, I think I would prefer that, but I don't know. I'd have to think about it. It's close. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I think I would rather have 16 and 34 as well because you get the first bite at the apple, you know, before the 23, 24. And then again, back to the fluidity of, of that range of the draft that you're still getting a really good player at 34. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Question number three uh, on Twitter at ha zero five two two seven three nine five. Hopefully I got those digits correct. Uh, <laughs> who's your favorite prospects at 56 and 57? So if the Hornets do not trade these, they will be drafting pretty late in the draft here. I have one name, but I will hold off and hopefully you guys don't steal this name. Spencer, Brian, do you guys want to go first? Any couple of uh, late round picks here that you guys are kind of intrigued by? I, yeah, I'll, I'll just go quickly here. One guy that I've, I've really just started to watch the last few days um, and I haven't seen a lot of them, but just from what I've seen so far, I'm very, very impressed. Don't don't and steal my name. Don't steal my name, but keep going. I don't think it's going to be your name. It might be. I, I don't know. Vrenz Blindberg, and I'm not sure if I'm saying yeah. his last name wrong. That wasn't your name, right, Richard? No, because no, I can't pronounce okay, it. Okay, okay. I didn't think it would be. Um, you know, he's he's an international player. He's almost 21 years old, but he's 6'10", 6'11", somewhere in that range. He's a playmaking, really long wing. I mean, he has got some very, very intriguing – he's got a very intriguing skill set offensively, and I think he's got some defense potential too. So, you know, again, he's he's almost 21 years old, so is he a draft and stash? I, I, I don't know, and I know the Hornets might be bringing over Kabulka, at least maybe on a two-way or summer league deal this year so that that complicates things a little bit but they they're also going to run into a roster crunch situation i think so a draft and stash with one of these two late second round picks might make some sense so if you haven't watched friends Vrins blindberg i would check him out uh and then the other one that i, I just i think this is a kind of player that the hornets need although i don't think he'll get to 56 or 57 uh, is Joe Weiskamp out of Iowa. I, it, it, just a great shooter. I think he's going to have some real two-way pop. He's got good size. He tested as a great athlete at the Combine. I, I doubt he makes it to there, but that would be my other, I guess, pipe dream for one of those picks. Yeah, he may have played himself into the first round at the Combine. Yeah. Like yeah, it, it'll, it'll be close, but it, it is super fluid. I like Vrenz a lot, too. I think he really might be one of the top 40, 45 guys in this draft, but he could very easily fall late second round if you could get him with 56, 57. Great prospect to get in the door. And I think there's you picked up some you know excess value in the back half of the second round, which would be cool. A couple names to throw out. Some of these guys, I, I think you know, 
it's, it's maybe like, I probably have them somewhere in my top 50, 55, but I just think by like, by virtue of the draft, like some guys have to fall um, to the spot. So um, one of the first names I'll bring up is Raekwon Gray from Florida state, who was one of my favorite players in college hoops the last couple of years, versatile, you know, six, eight, six, nine, big guy um, that can handle, can really pass, gotten a lot better shape before this past season, um, event creator defensively, good cutter, one of the best cutters in this draft. Um, in my opinion, I just, I love his versatility, can switch guard one through five, which he did at Florida State. I, I love him as like a, a connector and someone that you could involve in actions and two-man games with LaMelo. You could play him with PJ. You could play him with uh, and, and, uh, and uh, Miles Bridges. There's just a lot of different stuff you, you could do with him. And so I would love to have Raekwon Gray there. Some other names I'll throw out uh, as far as guards go. Austin Reeves out of Oklahoma, formerly transfer of Wichita State. Big guard, 6'5", big-time shooter, uh, 35%. I, I love Reeves. I, yeah. I almost brought him up. I'm glad you did. Yeah, tough. Yeah, big-time shot maker, uh, th- 35% career uh, three-point shooter in college, but on lots of volume, which you like to see great indicators, the versatility, 84% from the line. Looking at wings, I love Jola Yaye from Gonzaga, who I'm sure you guys have seen play plenty the last couple of seasons as he became like a fixture in the rotation for the Bulldogs, but just like a classic fourth or fifth option type wing, just doing the kind of stuff that like you wish Cody Martin (laughs) would do, but just good spot up shooter, like from a standstill, excellent mover without the ball, great cutter. Um, maybe not like an, an amazing, like twitchy, you know, like springy athlete, but has some finishing craft, good touch on his floater to counteract some of the, the rim pressure limitations. He's probably a little overrated defensively because he's like specifically good on the basketball. And I feel like it just as like a, you know, scouting consensus, we tend to overrate those guys on average a little bit more than sort of like the very good team defenders. And I think he makes a lot of mistakes rotating around uh, in Gonzaga's system, but overall good young wing. Um, I've mentioned Scotty Lewis out of Florida on this pod before, and I'm guessing Richie's probably not going to like me bringing that up, but (laughs) I just like him as another potential like zero gravity wing doing the Bruce Brown kind of stuff, the short roll stuff, offensive rebound, scrap, cut, um, we just saw what an asset Terrence Mann was for uh, the Clippers in, in the postseason. So trying to find the next one of those guys with second round pick is interesting. Um, a guy that I covered, I know Spencer knows this guy well, Sam Hauser out of Virginia, 6'8", elite movement shooter, you know, limited athletically, but he's huge and he is really is like one of the best shooters <laughs> in like the last decade of college basketball. Like he's just awesome. Uh, forwards, Trendon Watford out of LSU, good team defender, good face of game, short roll option, can play make for others, good size, positional versatility, can switch defensively. Uh, Alan Griffin out of Syracuse, big wing, three point shooter, can shoot off movement. And then just a, a couple more names here Moses Wright out of Georgia Tech. I really, really like him a lot. Tremendous athlete. Grew up playing tennis late to the basketball game, but just got super duper good. And it all like crested this season with him as the ACC player of the year. But he's, I love he's my passing. second favorite Moses in this draft, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the two Moseses in this draft are, are both very good, albeit one is like three years younger and a substantially better prospect. But, but Moses Wright is a hell of an athlete. His timing, his his grit as like a, a rim protector is legit. He can you know face up, play out of the post, 
Georgia Tech's offense basically flowed through him with them running all that point series stuff uh, in the high post. I, I think there's a lot of ways that Charlotte could involve that. Um, and then bear with me, just four more names here. Mamu Skidisvili out of Seton Hall, uh, who we've talked about on this pod before, but another like playmaking uh, big guy that can give you some some handle and some passing. Jericho Sims out of Texas, if we're looking for like another rim run lob center, uh, one of the best you know front court athletes in the draft, and someone that would make a lot of sense. For, for Charlotte needing that like that exact kind of player. So uh, I think he's worth highlighting. Jay Huff out of Virginia, stretch five option, great stroke, big time accomplished, you know, college three-point shooter, can shoot off movement, pick and pop partner, uh, you know, so because of that, but he can also roll. He's tall, long as hell, good, good catch radius, and really one of the best roll finishers in college hoops over the last three seasons. Plus he gives you some rim protection. So, so I kind of like, I kind of like that as, as, as Huff. I think he has some potential. And then the last name being name is Kata out of uh, Utah state. He's big yes. time shot blocker, very good defensive yep. center. Another guy that would help check some boxes for Charlotte. If he fell to them late in the second round and he just moved better. Like if you watched him at all last season, which you may have when you were going through like Sam Merrill tape before the 2020 draft, but like, He's moving, just moving better this season too. being one more year removed from, I think knee surgery. And so I just thought he looked better. So uh, those would be yeah. the other names I throw out there. Impressive. Uh, just improvement every year for Kada. I think he's, he was the biggest, longest guy in the, at the draft combine, I believe. I mean, if, if he got to 56, 57, yeah. I mean, Charlotte, Charlotte should definitely snatch him up. Yeah. Well, all those lists of names that you guys rattled off there, you did not list mine. Uh, Onu from Shawnee State. I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy. Uh, no, I, I've, I've watched him. He's yeah. uh, he's one of the like uh, draft nerd darlings of this uh, this cycle. He's got a seven eight wingspan. He can run the floor yeah. well. He can be he, a lob he threat. Shoot. He can shoot. Yeah, yeah he was shot yeah. like thir- from where from where Shawnee Richie State. Kind of- Shawnee State. It, it's not a Shawnee State. Okay, I think That's it's Division One, but it's not. I don't know. It, it's a, it's no, a I think he, I'm pretty sure he's division two. Division two. Yeah, I think Charlie so. State's division two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. I got it. This is the first time I've heard that name. So this yeah, is what's so, fun about the draft. I'll get now, to go yeah. Look, yeah. You do have to take into consideration the lower competition, but yeah, shot the ball. Well, I, I think his shots, you know, his form's a little bit off. He kind of flares his elbows a bit, but you know, a six eleven guy taking six attempts per game from behind the arc. That's a great number defensively. He's going to be able to protect the rim, which the Hornets need with that wingspan. The thing that obviously he can't do as well, like I don't think he's he's nimble, but he's not that great in space. I think on day one, he's going to be someone that's going to struggle out there. But I think you just take a chance on this guy and his physical attributes, especially at uh, 56 or 57. So, But I, I think maybe me, many people are probably projecting him to go undrafted. So EJ Onu, Spencer is the name. So, all right. <laughs> Question number four, at unbiased underscore Stan. What are your thoughts on potentially trading Hayward this offseason would clear up $30 million with guys like Bridges and PJ and eventually Mello due for extension raises and could help us get a quality player or two that fits the timeline a little bit better? First things first, I I do want to keep mentioning this. He does have a 15% trade kicker, meaning Charlotte would have to pay Gordon that amount of money if he gets traded. And 15% of his remaining contract would be close to $14 
million dollars. So to my understanding as well, that $14 million would be split across the remaining years of his contract, which would be about four and a half million. So yes, Charlotte would be saving money, but it wouldn't be the 30 million that, that this question is insinuating here. He could waive the no trade clause or not no trade clause, the, uh, the trade kicker, but I'm not, I don't think we have any idea if he would do that. Now, in terms of whether I would want to do this, I actually don't think it's as beneficial as maybe it does seem on paper. Uh, number one, LaMelo's contract, rookie contract, yes, I mean, obviously there's raises involved, but um, Hayward's contract would end the year before LaMelo's rookie contract is over. So I don't think there'd be any complications there. And I think sometimes we undervalue the positive impact that Hayward brings to this team. The veteran presence helped this team a lot this year. And, you know, in addition to his half court playmaking, his, his shot making, his, his offense, I think the fact that you need veteran presence on a team, I, I think that goes overlooked sometimes. So would I think it would be a good idea to trade Hayward? I kind of lean no, but maybe I'm in the minority here. Like, um, you know, like I'm up for, I think like they should explore the market you know the, the trade kicker as as possibility maybe throws a wrench in, in this thing going uh too much further so i agree with richie like i'm sort of like less concerned about having space for extending and signing those guys especially Lamelo, because you know the the timelines don't uh you know overlap with what, what could very well be a you know rookie max extension kicking in with Lamelo, uh and when hayward's deal would clear the books if you know he's not later like stretched or something eventually, but Charlotte still has time and flexibility. And honestly, man, I'm not sure like Hayward be, would be considered a positive trade asset at this point. Obviously he's a very, very, very good offensive player stabilizes your half court offense, but he's bad defensively. Some of this is, some of this is just dumb, bad luck, including this year, but injury prone and he's owed a lot of money over the next three seasons. You know, not saying there wouldn't be a market, you know, I'm, I'm sure there would, but I'd be curious to know really, you know, in this hypothetical, what the sort of like league perception is of Hayward. My guess is that Charlotte would have to attach something unless there was a team that was just like really, really desperate to make a, a title or a playoff push and thought Hayward was their best option. I don't see Charlotte pursuing this. Hayward's, you know, too important in their mind, I would imagine, both to winning next season, uh, which they want to do. And this is something that I highlighted since they brought Hayward into the building, but also like what he does from a development standpoint, specifically with LaMelo. So uh, that has value sort of circling back to the, the Richie talking about the, the, you know, sort of the benefits of having a veteran in there. So having someone with Hayward's skill set next to LaMelo is also good for him, I, I think, long term. So I think it's worth exploring if the if the mechanisms were actually like cleaner, if you didn't have the trade kicker in there, if you knew it was a positive trade asset or whatever, you know, I, I probably would be a little more gung ho on it. But I but but I really do think someone like Rozier makes way more sense if Charlotte's going to actually like trade a starter level player this offseason. Yeah, I, I think this would be uh, again. It, it has to be one of those desperate teams that's going for it. I mean, like one team that does come to my mind thinking about this question is the Clippers after the Kawhi injury is like, do they, 
you know, they, they have to go for it. They don't have any other choice uh, with everything that they've done. Now, they don't have really any other picks to trade away. I don't know that they actually can trade away their first-round pick this year. They're yeah. picking at 25th, but, like, Hayward, Luke Kennard, Ivaka Zubac for, in 25 for Hayward. Oh. Like, like, something like that, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. Because they have the salaries to match too, uh, but I, I I don't. It would have to be one like I thought about the Lakers too because they they just need more playmaking, they need more shooting. Like Hayward does that, but it's just that number. Like you're talking about contending teams being your dance partner, so they're going to be above the cap. So they have so we have to match salaries. And Gordon Hayward's owed you know almost a hundred million dollars over the next three seasons. Like that's a really hard trade to yeah. to make. <laughs> under the current rules in the NBA. So is there, um, is there a Denver deal out there? Uh, you know, it's, it's a team that similarly is like going to be without Jamal Murray for most or all of next season, but you've got Jokic, you know, in his prime. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they have the pieces or the, or the salaries to, to swing a type of deal. I don't know. They're another one of those teams that could be a yeah. little desperate to, con- yeah, to win now. I'm not sure though. It, it, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I could see that considering, you know, Murray out for a lot of next year and look it, like it has to be one of these contending teams that's desperate and wants to go or, or just keep stay in that top five of the Western conference, the Eastern conference or, or whatever it is, probably more likely the Western conference, but it's just a hard trade to make because of uh, Hayward's salary. And you, and you'd have to be blown away. I think if you're Charlotte for reasons that Hayward was good last year, he's good for the youngsters and the development, mm-hmm. you know, and the salary kicker, which you brought up or the trade kicker, which you brought up. I mean, that's a lot of cash out of MJ's pocket. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. What about the, uh, <laughs> uh, they don't, I don't think they have the, the salaries to do this, but, uh, what, <laughs> what about the Boston Celtics? I think they'd oh, be, uh, they'd be interested in, in, uh, trading for Gordon Hayward. Maybe the, uh, like, I guess they have the Hortford contract now that they could, uh, use to, to match salaries on or whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. Go back to Boston. Yeah. That'd be weird. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, mean, I say that. You? Staying in that realm, what about the Utah Jazz? <laughs> <laughs> they they could kind of use Gordon Hayward. They really could, especially who knows what's going to happen with Conley this summer too. I believe hey, he's Bogdanovich. I mean, I don't think yeah. he's a sure thing to be back. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, Gordon Hayward. Obviously, his skill set, his size, his two way impact. He's a malleable player, right? Like we could go down the league and find a bunch of teams that could use his services. It's just with his salary, with the trade kicker. Uh, with with the specific role he plays for Charlotte, I would say it's unlikely. All right, two more questions. Question number five at Maxton NM Artist. Who do you think gets an extension, Rozier, Washington, or Bridges, or do they extend all three? Correct me if I'm wrong, though, but Washington's not due for an extension this offseason, right, Spencer? No, no, no. he's not. Okay. No. Next year. So yeah. I don't know if we want to just rule him out because, you know, we, we got to see another year under his belt to kind of make that consideration. So, you know, just yeah. focusing on Rozier and Bridges. Now, what would I, what would I do versus what the team would do is probably going to be a little bit different. I, I think <laughs> you, you try to extend Bridges if you can. Um, he's available for an extension this offseason. Rozier also available, but I don't know if I would extend Rozier. I think to Brian's point, he over Hayward has more value out there as a trade chip just because of what he can bring and just because he's an expiring contract as well. I I would hope that the Hornets wouldn't try to like make that a priority to extend Rozier, but I can see them trying to do that only because he's kind of, 
you know, turned his career around here in Charlotte. He's fit well here, and and um, it feels like his value has increased since joining the team. So if it was me, I would maybe kind of have some conversations with Bridges, Rozier. I would just kind of let that play out. But I, I would also see the team actually trying to approach Rozier for an extension. But I don't I don't have any inside information on that. Yeah, well, I mean, the timing of these things is the context we need because Miles has to be extended um, before the season. Correct. You know, whereas Rozier, you got all year. So I, I think that out of these three, now obviously PJ's extension is not due up till this time next year, but out of these three, I would think Miles is the highest probability to be extended. But I will also say this I think it's going to be a tricky extension negotiation because Miles was like, he went from very inconsistent you see flashes like yeah i think he'll get a second contract in charlotte i would bet on that too oh yeah he's definitely getting a second contract in charlotte but what he what he is probably going to want and his agent on a few months of play that's going to be their case and charlotte's like you've been here three years buddy (laughs) we're not maxing you out so i think it's going to be a a tricky little dance there which makes me a little bit nervous but I, i would say that miles of these three, it, it, yeah, has the best chance of being extended. Richie, I agree. With Rozier, I think you let it play out. I think there will be, depending on where Charlotte is, is the trade de- deadline, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just going to assume Rozier is going to shoot the ball or close to it as he as he has his first two years with the Hornets. Th- there's going to be a massive market for him, especially if the Hornets are a little bit under expectation, which is definitely on the table for this year. So I would let that play out. I agree there. Yeah, well, I think we, we've discussed the, the Rozier extension specifically before. Like, you know, I don't want to – I, I, I appreciate all the offense Terry has brought in the, in the shot making and the clutch performances he's brought to Charlotte the last two seasons. But he shot above his head from the mid-range this year. A probably number that like, – I think, I think like the three-point shooting, the movement shooting, like that's for real. That's there. I think some of the mid-range pull-up shooting, Richie, you've like – sort of talked about how well he was how well he shot from there this season. It's, it's like 10% above his career right, average. Like right. I just, I just think like, I just, I imagine that's going to regress to the mean uh, next season. I'm, I'm guessing that's not the new normal with him. So, you know, I, I would be, that's why like, not only would I be hesitant to, um, to at just, you know, give him, put him on an extension this year, but also why I would be eager to explore the trade market for him is because right now he's in the prime of his career. You're probably, probably never going to get a better version of him. I mean, I think he'll, he's at a, a certain level of play that you can expect for the next couple of seasons. Um, and he is a good movement shooter and in Charlotte runs a lot of their offense through him too. So and I, I don't expect them to trade him. I don't expect them to extend him either. Although I wouldn't be surprised, but just, I would want to capitalize on his value being as high as it's probably ever going to be while knowing that, knowing that he's probably not going to be better than what you've seen so far. Why, why would you like, why would you be eager to extend this guy? I mean, I can think of a few reasons, but I'm sort of like in, you know, asking my own self that question. And Miles, of course, I agree. He seems like the logical guy to, to extend this summer. But uh, Spencer brought it up, like finding the price point between the, you know, Mitch Kupchak, the Charlotte Hornets and Clutch Sports uh, might be uh, a little interesting. They don't uh, they just want the most money like that. It's like that's what they're here to do. They're here to get their and they're good the at it. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They're really good at it. And they're here to get all of their clients the most money unless they're trying to uh, 
get a slight discount so they can add role players to the Lakers uh, cough, KCP cough. But other than that, you know, for the most part, they're trying to max out the money. And then I'll just say this quickly on PJ. Like, obviously, like I like PJ Washington a lot long term. I like him as a, a piece. I think he makes sense. I've talked about it. I've written about it plenty of times. Um, but we've also seen him, I think, like at least in rumors or deep rumors dangled as a trade asset. You know, I don't know if Miles is quite like joined mellow in the untouchable category. Uh, I don't think he has, but he's, you know, the, the closest thing to that on the roster, which means PJ's the, you know, he's the best trade chip on the roster. The one that's like the combination of best and most available. Like if you wanted to go on that route, also a year behind miles too. So, um, you know, I'll just be curious to see sort of like what the long-term plans are for PJ. I hope he sticks in Charlotte. I want it to work. I want him on a second contract with the Hornets, but depending on how this thing splits the next year or two, it'll be interesting to see like, you know, long-term sort of like where he fits into what Charlotte has planned out because he could be a part of it and a big part of it, or he could end up being a bridge to them trying to get to something else. It's going to be interesting next year too, because we talked about the minutes that he has played at the center position and with biz and Cody free agents, you almost wonder if PJ is going to play just as much minutes at the center rotation. If the Hornets can't either draft or, or get somebody in free agency at that position. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's used next year as well. It could be more minutes at the five. So question six, final question here from drew Brown in our Slack channel. He wants us to each pair our favorite free agent signing, and then your favorite draft pick. And I'm assuming he uh, is just saying at number 11. So any kind of combination there that you would like, I'm going to hold off on mine. Spencer, I'm going to pass it to you. So pair a draft pick at number 11, obviously be realistic, and then a free agent signing as well. (laughs) I am going to go, I think I've been pretty clear about this. I'm going to go Alperin Sangoon at 11. Do it. And then I'm actually going to pair that with Rashawn Holmes in free agency. I think you, I think you can walk this pet. You don't, it doesn't have to be either uh, or rather it doesn't have to be, or in these two situations, I think you can draft a center and it's not totally clear. Sangoon's a center. He could be more of a Kevin Love type, you know, four or five combo. And then you sign Rashawn Holmes to a deal that would be, let's see what season we're in. We're in 21, 22. So you take him with Lamelo salary, which gets you to the summer of 2024. So three-year deal, you can give him a player option in year three if it, if it takes that to lure him uh, to Charlotte. And then you have your starting center. You have a developmental big. Yeah, by the way, you have a starting center that will fit very well with Lamelo and raise this team's defensive floor immediately, Richie, which you did a nice job uh, on, on Buy Me a Coffee, talking about Holmes' potential in Charlotte. And then you develop Sangoon. And I think the two can play together, too, by the way. Uh, you can at least experiment with it. So that would be my dream scenario, I think. Yeah, like uh, if, if Sangoon is, is going to shoot, which I, I think he will. We, we talked about this on the on the last pod. I'll, you know, be curious to see at what level, what capacity. But I do think he's going to shoot. And assuming he does that, then, yeah, you you know, you can play him as at the four offensively. And, and, and Holmes has the floater game and stuff, too. So I just there's some cool stuff you could, I think, hypothetically do with them. Plus, like if you did went that route and depending on how, at least in year one, how, you know, a 19 year old. Shangun is developing like if you need to get PJ Washington some minutes as your backup five, you know, you want to keep doing that anyways, to some extent. So, uh, you know, you can, you can work that in and use that to sort of like augment and help along the margins. Uh, my dream scenario, PG, I'm, I'm going to 
I'm, I'm assuming your dream scenario is going to be the exact same as mine, but keep going. Okay, cool. Well, so I bet we'll, I bet we'll diverge a little bit here because unless Moses, so if Moses Moody or Scotty Barnes fall, I would does not seem realistic at all with Scotty Barnes, but I think Moody is a possibility. Um, yeah, I draft one of those guys, assuming that isn't there. I'm drafting Jaden Springer at 11 out of Tennessee. I'm signing Rashawn Holmes and then I'm bringing back Devonte Graham. And, um, yeah, I wish I could bring back Malik Monk, but I'm not sure how all that is uh, feasible or could work itself out. And I'll be curious to see if Charlotte tries to bring back Cody Zeller too, as like a, yeah. a depending on what they do in the draft and what happens with some of these other guys, it's like a backup center, which sort of seems like where he's better suited for the, these days, but I'll say Springer and, and Holmes is uh, pick 11 and free agent signing respectively. So I guess we're kind of the same because at number 11, I'm saying Moses Moody, I guess you're assuming he's not going to be there. I, he, he very well could not be at number 11, but I think there's there's yeah. a chance. There's a slight chance he can make it. Yeah, to, there's definitely a chance. Yeah, yeah for sure. There um, is. He has not worked out with Charlotte as the time of this recording, but I, I think I did mention the time that we were talking about him, just like how boring of a pick that is. And I think that came off more negative than I, I wanted it to. Like, I just like his steadiness as a player. You know what you're getting with him on the next level. And I talk about the quality that I think the Hornets need to kind of target in the draft and free agency is somebody on defense. And I think I really do buy his wingspan being something uh, that's going to affect uh, the defensive side of the court. I think his passing is underrated. I think his shot is good. Even though he is like a boring pick, I, I still think he has the ability to kind of have no, not a higher ceiling, but he can, he can pop. He can, he can, he's a guy that has more upside than I think many people give credit for. And then Rashawn Holmes is the obvious clear target and free agency. And I think with Sacramento having some issues with their, their cap and money, I, I think it could be something that they could attack and it, it could be a good time to try to sign Rashawn Holmes. I think with the center position here, guys, like Shangun, I think the part of the reason I don't want Shangun is the fact that obviously he's going to take some years to develop. And I think you need someone that's steady on the defensive side of the court, can be versatile on that end. And I know you said Holmes as well, Spencer. So you're kind of uh, riding the line there and choosing both. But I'd rather get a wing and then go ahead and sign Rashawn Holmes in free agency. So very balanced player on both ends of the court. And maybe I'll link that article that I wrote uh, on Buy Me a Coffee that you mentioned, Spencer. Any other thoughts, guys, about the offseason, about the draft before we wrap here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a lot. I think this draft is going to be a lot of fun. I really <laughs> do. Like we, we talked about it earlier, but it's there are so many different scenarios. Everything feels so fluid. It scares me and excites me, I guess. But, <laughs> it, you know, but y'all doesn't have like a top five pick, so you can only get so scared. Like just kind of going through it this morning, I was I was watching a little bit of film and kind of just just doing my exercise with the scenarios the possibilities for short it's like they could go for a johnson i could see them drafting like a zaire smith even or excuse me a zaire williams even yeah um you know i would like that pick honestly i like him yeah i wouldn't mind it i wouldn't mind it's just there i think there's some real swing for the fences potential uh with where they stand in the draft i mean they worked out kai jones the other day individually i i really really like him and his physical tools and him as an athlete i mean 
crazy athlete for the size he is. Um, but boy, he scares me as well. He has such a low floor. So I don't know. I mean, that's, that's how I would kind of, it. it's going to be a lot of fun, but there are a lot of things that could happen for the, sure. The, at 11. The one thing that I do like, assuming they like, they keep the pick, you know, all the, all the range of possibilities that they could go to at that pick. Um, I kind of like all, and we've talked about a lot of them on the pod. I've watched all of them play a lot of basketball. There's no, there's no one that if they drafted, I would be like, Oh God, uh, like I, I hate that pick. It, you know, everyone that they, I think they're at least going to kick the can on. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, uh, you know, I wouldn't be like over the moon happy about a Corey Kispert pick, but I like him as a prospect. He makes sense in the NBA movement shooter, ready made guy. You just copy and paste and put him next to LaMelo. And it gets back to this point of just like the fact that they have LaMelo in the doors now, it's like, you know, the rebuild is not done. It's really just started. You still need more guys like this that can really raise the ceiling of your franchise. But having a guy like LaMelo in the system, just like it just there's just like a little bit of an ease, I feel, too. Just like, you know, not going into the draft thinking, oh, do they have to take a chance or they just have to draft somebody that you you expect like a decent return on because they've got to get some good young players. It's like, no, no, no. There's like a there's a tent pole that they can build around now that's LaMelo ball. And, and that just like invites so many cool possibilities now with the draft. And I, I will end on this. I do think that again, I think it's well known if you listen to this podcast, it's not the pick I would make, but I do think it's more likely if Charlotte goes center at 11, I think they're going to try to build this team with, you know, a run and jump center, which, which is the right thought process. I don't disagree with that. I just think Sangoon's the best prospect out of the center crop, which I do think in the end, if I had to make like a prediction, I do think it'll be an Isaiah Jackson or outside Ty of, Jones. Outside, or, of Mobley. Or some, outside of Mobley, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah outside of yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. qualify him, you know, he's yeah. one top three. But yeah, um, I do think that if they draft a center at 11, it will be more of the mold of that, that run and jump kind of yeah. center. Because it like, just fits more with Lamelo, and I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. You you want like a vertical guy, like even if they went. That that's also why like the whole like the hypothetical you mentioned, Spencer, of like Singoon and Holmes is like kind of nice because then you've got then you you sign you sign the guy that can be your your rim run catch a lot yeah. guy, and then but then you've got the like uh you know the playmaking front court guy that can, that can also space out a little bit. That's your development piece along right, with Lamelo, right. which is like. Yeah. You know, so you can do lots of cool two man stuff with both of those combinations. You know what I exactly, mean? Exactly, exactly. And then like Sangoon, like yeah, he could he could flame out in the NBA, but there's also the potential he becomes like an all star. So if you can walk both mm-hmm. paths at once, kind of sorta, I think that's a pretty good risk to take. Anyway, so yeah, that's why you draft new at number fifty six. There's your lob. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. That's <laughs> seriously, that, right. seriously. All right, guys, we appreciate you guys tuning in to another episode. As a heads up, we're going to be releasing a BMC exclusive video on JT Thor tomorrow. The podcast version will be available Monday of draft week. And then join us live on draft night, July 29th, as we react to the Hornets pick at number 11. We don't have a specific time. We're just going to go on a couple picks before number 11. And we also have some exciting news, which we will share on the live draft reaction. So for Spencer and for Brian, I'm Richie. Have a good one. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.